Today's scripture reading comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and it's verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and is given to us in love. Thanks, Jeff. Big day for me. Uh, Hampton getting baptized. I'm going to close this Play Doh back up. Um, just sitting under there uh, conveniently. Um, so, yeah, my name's Harrison. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to, I'd love to meet you and love to get to know you. Um, like we've been saying this, this, uh, this service today, this kicks off Advent today, and we'll be, we'll be doing Advent for the next four weeks and preaching on Advent as well. Um, if you're not totally familiar with it, uh, hopefully you've learned some things so far, but I want to give you a, a picture, a story that, that may help explain um, kind of the idea of Advent to you. So uh, World War I, American soldier, uh, Private William Taylor, uh, if you want to throw that picture up there, Derek, so this is uh, Private William Taylor. For four years, uh, kept eight pictures of his family in his breast pocket of his uniform. So you go to the next picture, Derek. So these are some, some pictures of his sisters, of his mom, pictures of his family. Um, and they were in his pocket during countless battles. Uh, during, uh, well, he was in the trenches a lot. He twice won the, the Medal of Bravery for rescuing soldiers out of no man's land. Um, the pictures were in there for those moments. And he said that in quiet and desperate moments during the war that he'd pull these pictures out and uh, they would bring him hope in the midst of a dark time. He would, he would remind him of his home, of his family. Um, yeah, give him hope in the darkness of war. Towards the end of his tour, this bomb went off uh, very close to him and killed three-fourths of his regiment. And the shrapnel, uh, when it came and hit him, it actually hit him in the, in the breast pocket. Uh, and so you go to the next uh, picture. So his, the, the shrapnel went through the wallet and through seven of the eight photos and was stopped by his sister, uh, that, that last picture, before going into his heart. He showed the next, the next photo. That's his, that's his sister who just stopped that bullet right there. You go back to the last one. Um, so yeah, so this is uh, basically these pictures, he would say, got him through the war uh, emotionally and physically. Um, that they were, they were things, pictures that literally saved his life. And so what does this story have to do with Advent? Um, in Advent, we remember that we as Christians are like this soldier. 
We're definitely not at home. Uh, You were made for heaven, and your reality right now looks and feels so different from that. You are in the misery of war, often in danger and hungry, exhausted, uncomfortable, afraid, and your life is primarily characterized as one of waiting and longing for Jesus to come back. We remember that in Advent. Also during Advent, we as Christians pull out a picture from our wallets, we, uh, which is not a building. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of our home. It's not a building, but it's uh, a picture of Jesus, the person who is our home. We talk about him, we think about him, we long for him the same way that Private Taylor did for his family. And Jesus and the, these pictures given to us of Jesus in scripture are what gets us through the war emotionally and physically. They bring us safely out on the other side. So in Advent, we remember we're not at home. We pull out a picture of Jesus, our home, to uh, give us hope. And then lastly, as we do those two things, uh, we as Christian soldiers usually find ourselves uh, cleaning out our wallets, if you will. So uh, you might have a wallet like mine or George Costanza that's way too big for, uh, for your purposes. It's got all my receipts in there that I need to, you know, expense. Um, sorry about that, Scott. And, uh, and so, so you might have a lot of things besides pictures of Jesus in your wallet, all right? One thing might be money, things that you're hoping in to get you through this war that actually can't give you what you need, uh, and it weighs you down. So uh, if I stockpile enough money, if I put enough money in here, it'll protect me. I'll be at peace. I'll finally be free from anxiety, and I'll be at home. You might have some other picture of a false finish line in here, some sort of thing in life that uh, if, I, if I can just get this one thing, a, a girlfriend, a husband, if I can just get to graduation, just to get to retirement, then I'll be finally happy. Then I'll be home. Or maybe your wallet is just empty. You, know, you take all this stuff out. You just have, you got nothing in there. Uh, no picture of Jesus, no picture of other things. Instead, you might have replaced it with something else, uh, something to numb the pain of war to escape like a little baggie of pills or endless scrolling or streaming or alcohol or pornography. During Advent, it's a time when we just dump out our wallets to see what's in there. Uh, throw out the garbage and put our home Jesus back in his rightful place. That's Advent. I'll just put all this down here. <laughs> I do need to clean my wallet out. Uh, so uh, today we'll do those three things in this sermon. If we do them well enough, then we'll just skip the rest of Advent, start Christmas next week, and uh, it'll be great. Um, just kidding. So in our passage today, uh, Isaiah 9 that uh, Jeff just read for us, as, uh, Israel is literally during this time in a war. It's a dark time for them. They're terrified soldiers. They're about to be killed or taken from their land and sent into exile as slaves. And people were beginning to lose hope in God. They were starting to replace the picture of God in their breast pocket with other things. For them, at the time, they might have put a little picture of a physical idol in there that promised to protect them. They might have put a little money in there to pay tribute to another, another nation to protect them because they didn't trust in God. Or they might put the address of a, an outlawed spiritual guide like a medium or a necromancer, or someone who claimed to bring back the dead they would go to for guidance instead of God. Their wallets were stuffed full of anything they could think of to survive. So to these terrified soldiers, God gives two pictures to put in their wallets that were meant to get them safely through the war, through exile, and onto the other side. And for us looking on as New Testament Christians, uh, these pictures that we're about to see both describe your past and present, 
and also describe your future. Some things are here now, and some things we're still waiting on. But they're pictures that God's designed for you to put in your wallet too. Now, I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew today. It's not, nothing crazy, and you're probably familiar with some of it. But here are uh, two, two pictures that we get, two visions that Isaiah has. That The first one is a picture of shalom. And the second is a picture of the sar shalom. Picture of shalom and a picture of the star shalom. I'll explain what those mean. So first, the picture of shalom. The term shalom, the, the Bible usually translates it peace, uh, but it doesn't really get at the meaning because there isn't a great English word for it. We don't really have the concept in a word in the English language. It means uh, life as it was meant to be. It assumes that your life now is a deviation from the standard. There's an ideal for your life in which evil is gone, nothing is broken, Everyone, you and others, act the way they should with incredible love and honor and kindness. And in this world, there's no tears, there's no sadness. It's only joy. That ideal is called shalom. Shalom is life before sin entered the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And shalom is what we wait for to experience in fullness in heaven. It's life as it was meant to be. Now Isaiah first here in verses 1 through 5 has a vision of shalom. And Isaiah is a prophet, and one of the ways that God liked to communicate with his people in the Old Testament was through uh, a prophet as his mouthpiece. And often this would be through a vision that he would give them. They would see a vision and then write it down and communicate it to others. So the first vision is verse 1 through 5, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you guys, but you can follow along in your worship guide as I go through this just to, just to kind of see what I'm seeing as, as I paraphrase. Okay, so here's Isaiah telling you this vision. And he tells it to you in the past tense in Hebrew because he, he saw it, and now he's relating to you what he saw. I saw her, Israel, in exile, but she was in pain, but she wasn't sad. You know, the northern part of the kingdom, those wicked people, you know, brought us a lot of shame. God was making that area glorious, Galilee, even, can you believe that? There was something glorious happening there. I saw people who lived in pitch black for years and years for the first time seeing a bright light. And I saw smiles on their faces, tears of joy in their eyes, the kind of joy I've only seen a few times in my life. Like on the day of harvest when we feast and we celebrate and we rest from our work, it's that kind of joy. Or when, you know, when we went on a war, we've been scared and we finally win, and we finally have rest and peace, and we get to divide all the spoils. It was that kind of joy they were feeling. And here's why. They had been in some sort of slavery. They were carrying these burdens. They were hit with rods and staffs. But then I saw God taking those burdens and those staffs and those rods, and he shattered them in pieces on the ground. It reminded me of when God used Gideon and just 300 guys to defeat that huge army of Midian. You remember that? And then I saw all of our war stuff, boots and bloody rags, they were being used for kindling in a fire. They were no longer needed. So this is the first vision, this picture of Israel's certain future that Isaiah relates to them. It's shalom in all the places that they were lacking. Glory instead of shame, light and clarity instead of confusion and darkness. Abundance instead of scarcity, joy instead of terror, and a full end of slavery and of war itself. It's a picture for them to put in their breast pockets of their future as they fight the war. 
as they get carried off as exiles, as they work there as slaves. A picture that said those realities were not going to be the end of the story. That evil would end and give way to their joy. And for them, I'll imagine it's like a soldier of us carrying around a picture of a home. Uh, maybe a, a, a dinner table with a Thanksgiving meal set, big fat turkey laid out, drinks have been poured, one of the kids said something hilarious, everyone's laughing with tears in their eyes. That moment frozen in someone's pocket. Slavery and war are distant memories. The soldier's thinking, I, I, I'm going to get back there. I will get back to Shalom again. For the exile, especially the, Isra- the Israelite who goes into exile, this picture of home was going to be so important because many would get too familiar with life in the exile as a slave, they would forget their former identity. They would deaden their God-given desires for something more, try and kill those desires, try and forget their country, their calling, even their God, because it was too painful. Their reality was too far away from it. They would forget because they wanted to make exile more bearable for them. They might have said things like, it is what it is. Our modern day statement of surrender to a fallen world is, it is what it is. A move to distance ourselves from the way things should be. I don't want to think about that. It's too painful. Another one is, it's just not realistic. This Yahweh stuff. We need to be real. All right? Here's where we're at. This Yahweh stuff was a pipe dream. It's wishful thinking. We need to be realistic. And I wonder for these exiles if you can identify with them in these moments. I know that I definitely can. Is there a place in your life where maybe you've tried to kill or silence a desire for shalom, the way your life was meant to be? Because what you really long for is just too painful to think about. Your reality is too far from that. Maybe you're done wanting your spouse to pursue your heart in your marriage. There will be no joy for me here. He or she will not change. It is what it is. I just gotta be realistic. Maybe you're done trying to feel close to God. I just cannot make time to pray or read my Bible. I've tried, not in this season of life. I'm just gonna have to get used to not having a relationship with him. Maybe you're through with trying to stop this never-ending nagging sin pattern. I've tried for years and I'm in the same spot. It is what it is. Maybe you're done investing seriously in a local church after the last one you were at six months ago totally fell apart. It's just too painful and too risky and not even wise to get too close to people in there. It is what it is. Maybe you're done going deep with others in your friendships. Just stay on the surface. I've tried going deep. It doesn't end well. It is what it is. I don't know for you what it is. Uh, I get to those places often. And once we go there mentally and decide to give up hope for shalom in some area, usually our next step is a serious compromise. It's a surrender to the fallenness where you begin to lose part of who you were made to be. And that always involves replacing a picture of God in your breast pocket with something else. And what's hard about this line of thinking, you know, it is what it is, be realistic, is that there's some truth there, right? It's a fallen world we live in. If we're left alone, it is very realistic to expect fallen outcomes. But in our passage today, what we just read is God gives Isaiah a bold, unwavering depiction of full-fledged shalom for his people to store in their breast pockets during a hard time 
Why would he do that? I think it's because for being realistic for many Israelites did not account for one very real, very important person. And that leads us to the second picture that Isaiah gives, the second vision here, a picture of the Sar Shalom. Sar in Hebrew means leader, the one in charge of, the prince of Shalom. So I'm going to give this vision to you again in a paraphrase, and you can follow along verses 6 through 7 as I, as I do it, uh, as if I'm Isaiah communicating this vision I saw to you guys. Okay, starting in verse 6. I saw an Israelite baby boy, and the entire government of the world was on his shoulders. I heard people call him names. They, they called him Wonderful Counselor, like like a really wise teacher, but one that works miracles and wonders. And then, I don't understand this fully. I kind of feel weird saying it. Please don't kill me for this. But in the vision, I swear, they called this Israelite human baby boy Mighty God and Everlasting Father. I know that sounds blasphemous. Of course, Yahweh's the only one who's Father of all and who's mighty and who's God. But this was a vision I saw from Yahweh. Then they ended by calling him the Sar Shalom, the leader of Shalom, the one who would finally bring us life as it was meant to be. And then I saw him as a king over a kingdom of Shalom that grew and grew and grew and never ended. And he ruled forever. And guys, it was the zeal the passion, the desire of Yahweh himself that accomplished all this. It wasn't up to us. We couldn't stop it if we tried. It was up to him. So this vision Isaiah relates would have been very startling for Israel at the time, would have blown up the categories they had. At this point in salvation history, they don't have the theology of the Trinity that we have, the idea of the incarnation of God, of Jesus being fully God, fully man. You would never equate Yahweh with a person physical human being. But here somehow Yahweh himself does so with a baby. He would come and for Israel, if this baby boy was real, he would totally change their view of reality, of the war, of the exile, and of Israel's future. This picture in their breast pocket would have given them unwavering hope through the intense lows they're about to experience. I was a pastor in St. Louis before this, and one guy in our church loved role-playing games. Does anybody like role-playing games here? Anyone know about that? Uh, role-playing game is, is uh, so for him, it would typically be a war-based game. You and your friends would get characters, different abilities that you would kind of inhabit. You'd have a group task and a game master who tells you the story. This guy was always the, the game master. And um, you operate in this made-up world, and uh, you make decisions, and stuff happens, and you try and accomplish this task. So ours was uh, clearing a mysterious alien ship of the inhabitants inside. And it was well known at the church that uh, if you were new to visit the group, that this guy would, would, to get you to come back, would give you a way overpowered character. Um, So you would just dominate and easily win and love it. Um, So I went with my pastor friend, Justin, and Justin had been before, and it was my first time. We all get our characters, and Justin's character is like Private Smith or something. He's the skinny guy, uh, speed two, intelligence four, resourcefulness five. You know, I assume they're out of ten. Um, weapons, pistol, uh, 
And so he's, he's upset. We go around, everyone kind of gets their character and they're all about, about like that. And then I get my character and it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. Uh, and I read down and it's like speed 87. Uh, everyone else's is like one through 10, mine's like 87. Uh, intelligence 82, resourcefulness 95. Weapon, uh, alien ray gun, automatic shotgun, M16, rocket launcher, really whatever I wanted, he can carry it all because he's so strong. And as you would expect, my character really changed the outcome of the game. <laughs> Most of the issues that arose, I could just be like, I'll run at that guy at super speed and then shoot him my rocket launcher and, and roll the dice. He's like, great, all right, we won. All right, cool, next thing. Um, we, uh, we won pretty handedly uh, because my character stepped on the scene. Now this is just a game, but can you imagine uh, for a real soldier being overrun in the midst of a battle terrified for his life, who only sees a losing outcome. Can you imagine the difference that a character like mine would make stepping onto the scene to defend that man? How would it feel to know that that superhuman guy was, was on your team, checked into the game, was definitely going to win this thing? Isaiah here in verse 6 or 7 is saying, I saw a new character step on the scene for us, and he had the mighty power of God himself along with God's wisdom and his goodness. I saw him establish a kingdom of shalom that encompassed the earth and never ended. And that's how verses one through five came about. Those in Israel who were tempted to give up shalom, this would have been a game-changing picture to put in their pockets of the future. And for those of you, and probably all of us, who struggle with giving up hope for shalom in certain areas, we talked about earlier, saying things like, it is what it is. I just have to be realistic. If that's you today, um, God through Isaiah wants to ask you this. What does it look like for you to be realistic in a world in which the son of God, the Sar Shalom became a baby? What does it look like to be realistic in a world in which the miraculous kingdom of heaven broke in and is growing in your midst right now as you sit in this room? What does it look like to be realistic in a world in which the God-man paid the punishment for all of our sin in full and then rose from the dead? What does it look like to be realistic about your own body, which has the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead inside of it right now? What does it look like to be realistic about your neighbor who sits next to you, has that same spirit in them? To sum up, what does it mean to be realistic in a world that includes Jesus Christ? Now it's possible that you're tempted to give up hope in some part of your life where you won't experience shalom until heaven. Advent affirms there's places in your lives where that exists and you're hoping for something you'll experience on the other side of the grave. But I think those places, according to scripture, are more rare than you think. It's a fallen world, yes, but the problem with our hopelessness and cynicism often is that it isn't being realistic at all. It is blind to the most foundational and important person in reality, the Sar Shalom, and he has stepped on the scene. We remember in Advent and the Christmas season, we live now in the partial fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. 700 years after this passage was written, the Sar Shalom was born. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, 
on a night when a bright star lit the way in a dark land. Look at all the similarities between Jesus' life and this passage written hundreds of years before. He worked wonders. He counseled with authority and wisdom not of this world. He zealously brought shalom through healing, casting out demons, turning over tables. He was the only person we could ever rightly call mighty God based on what he did in his life. And his ministry in Galilee, by the way, was summarized as this, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven's another word for shalom, by the way. His kingdom of shalom, not of this world, grew quickly during his lifetime, exploded after he was risen from the dead, and now 2.2 billion people would call this man their king and their God. And those people fight to bring shalom in various areas of their life by living God's ways. But life is still not as it was meant to be yet, is it? Though there's been a lot of growth, we aren't there yet, even thousands of years after Isaiah's vision. But Jesus has promised to return at a date set by the Father to finish what he started. We might have to wait quite a while. So during this Advent season, I want to suggest that if we put these two pictures, the picture of Shalom, the picture of the, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Shalom in our breast pocket, regardless of how long we have to wait, that we will have unshakable hope in a world that often tries to steal it away. That's what God wants for us. And because of that hope in the Sar Shalom, I think it leads us to do things that some, some things that other people think are totally impossible. Love our enemies, genuinely repent and change as a person, forgive someone if something's really heinous they did personally to us, obey God when it costs us everything. That's the power of the Sar Shalom in us. The ability to manifest and taste heaven here and now. We would be like, I think, Daniel and his friends in the exile from the book of Daniel, who had this exact vision of Isaiah 9 in his breast pocket, who brought shalom to those around him, who never despaired or compromised, who trusted in God despite being led into a fiery furnace and a den of lions. And so this Advent, let's be realistic and hope in the star shalom for our present and for our future. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the season of Advent, and we praise you for these two pictures you gave us through Isaiah. Um, Lord, for many of us, uh, we look around in this world and we only see darkness and despair. Uh, it's hard to find reasons to hope, and Lord, if that's us today in and, and small areas of our life or in huge areas of our life, Lord, would you um, would you give us this picture to our hearts? Uh, Lord, will we see Jesus, see the shalom that he's going to bring? And Lord, will we hold on to that this week? And Lord, would that cause us to live differently as a result, Lord? Instead of giving in to despair, Lord, we'd step out in faith and confidence, knowing that we're on the winning team. Um, and Lord, we, would you be with us as we do that? Lord, we cannot do these things without you, Lord, and you live in our hearts. So act through us, Lord. Grow your kingdom through us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.